Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. On this episode, our guest is Kristen Reber. Now, Kristen Reber is the podcast host of Early Homecoming, Insights for Missionaries Who Returned Early, and is the author of the book, Early Homecoming, a resource for early return missionaries, their church leaders, and family. She works as operations manager for the Latter-day Saint Publishing and Media Association. She's also a devoted Latter-day Saint, wife, mother, and an early return missionary herself. So she's going to come on and talk about her experience, her book, and her podcast, and there's a lot of great information for those that are either thinking about coming home early or have come home early from their missions, as well as their family and church family. So stay tuned for our interview with Kristen Reber. Our guest on this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast is Kristen Reber, and we're going to talk a little bit later about her podcast and book called Early Homecoming. But this episode's focus is going to be on ERMs, or Early Return Missionaries, and uh, how that is such a unique phenomenon to Latter-day Saint missionary culture. And there, there really isn't much like it in the world, but it is a scenario that we seem to be facing more and more in our church. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah, there does seem to be an increase. Um, I mean, I don't get the numbers every year, but there doesn't seem to be any decline in the number of missionaries who are coming home early. And from my view, it seems like it's staying steady. It might not be increasing, but it's at least staying steady. And sometimes it's hard to decide whether or not this is our awareness of the issue is increasing mm-hmm. or if the actual issue is increasing, or is it the fact that there's just more missionaries now? So yep. we so it's it's hard without actual hard numbers to make any commentary on the issue in general, but at the same time, what difference does it make? It's happening, and so we're going to talk about it. Again, you you wrote a book, and you have a podcast on this, and it starts out with your story. Now, you're doing an episode with Latter-day Lives that will definitely be a, a deeper dive into your story, but we do need to kind of understand where you're coming from, so when we have this conversation, that our listeners understand where you are in this this whole subject matter. So, Give us a brief on what your experience is as an ERM, an early return missionary. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, just as an early return missionary, I mean, I came home due to physical health reasons. I served in the Philippines, came down with two parasites. Because one was easy. One was easy. Like, not a big deal. (laughs) I probably could have done my whole mission with that one. Not a big deal. The other one uh, was intamoeba histolytica, which means tissue dissolver. And so that intestine, or excuse me, that parasite wreaked havoc on my intestines for eight weeks before they discovered what was wrong. They gave me medicine, they killed it while I was still in the field, but I had all this recovery work to do still. Mm. And just the rigors of missionary life, plus admittedly being in a third world country, it was very difficult for me to recover. Sure. So I did get sent home. Um, well, actually, now, no, you say you got I did sent not home. get sent home. You know, it's been about nine years. I did not get sent home. I made the choice to come home. Which my, is interesting qualifier. We'll get to that a little bit later. Yes. So just for now, I made the choice to come home and I had a ton of emotions coursing through me as any early return missionary can probably relate to. Um, I had sadness, disappointment, anger a lot of feelings of failure. 
but I also felt relief <laughs> and a bit of happiness even just to be home. Missionary work was not what I expected. It was much, much harder. And it was very overwhelming at times too, uh, both with the culture shock and just how demanding missionary work was. So how long were you out? Six months. Uh, you know what? Actually, in the field. In the field, I was out for three months. Because you had MTC th- before that. Three months in the MTC. MTC was very nice. I enjoyed it very much. The field was just very different, both in, you know, just the culture, the language, and then just the day in, day out missionary life. And uh, I didn't understand why the Lord didn't heal me on my mission. You know, I you hear about these miraculous stories all the sure. time about people being healed. It's a great part of our culture is we have these stories, but it didn't happen to me. So I figured since he didn't heal me, I must be unworthy. Things just really kind of got warped in my mind. Yeah. And I, I did eventually just decide to move on. I chose to stay home and just continue on with life. But I didn't really talk about my mission for two years. Um, I tried to forget about it, admittedly. But as I kind of just worked through that grief process. Um, I was able to remember the good that did happen on my mission. I was able to kind of make peace with coming home early. But it still took a, a good five years, I think, before I'd say I was really healed and moved past it. So yeah, what year was this? You know, I came home in 2011. Okay. And I would say it'd be 2016 that I I was really feeling good, not really thinking about it anymore even, up until um, 2017 where thoughts just kept coming to mind about my mission. And it, it was so weird. I was married. I had a, a child. Um, I had a brand new baby. Um, so why was I thinking about my mission? Kept thinking about this old manuscript I'd, I'd written and submitted to a publisher. It's called My Six-Month Mission. Didn't get published, but that was, that was fine. However, thoughts kept coming. And I had the opportunity later that year at a publishing conference to pitch my idea to essentially rework that old manuscript. Sure. And just the opportunity presented itself. I went for it. And as I was pitching the book, the thought came to mind that it needed to be a resource book. It needed to be much more than just my story. It needed to encompass really all the reasons that people come home early, but it also needed to help those who had left and wanted to come back because people do leave the church over this issue for various reasons. Uh, needed to be for parents, needed to be for church leaders, needed to explain why this is even a thing. So there needed to be a chapter in the culture. I just, I pitched all of this and the editor loved it. <laughs> and I had a contract with a publishing company a month later. It's every author's dream. And, um, and nightmare because then they have to produce it. And I got to produce it. Exactly. <laughs> no, that was, that was a, that was an experience, but yeah, now I've got this book. Um, I have a podcast where I interview people and have them share their stories as well as just some advice for others. Everybody's at different journeys or I should say different stages of their journey on my podcast. You're not required to be at a certain stage, but you do need to, I think I do like people to have some healing before they come on the podcast. And I do like it to be an uplifting podcast, even if it's very raw and real at times. So this is an issue that has many sides to it. Mm -hmm. It's not very simple. Because there's so many different factors involved, like there are parents involved. There are possibly siblings that may or may not be returned missionaries themselves. Mm -hmm. There are bishops and other church leaders, members of a ward or branch family. 
there's even to a certain extent prospective spouses absolutely that that look at this issue and have some type of filtered experience with what it means to be a return missionary and coming home early there's also the way that individuals view themselves which seems to be where we a good starting point what are some of the emotions that a missionary in the field encounters just with the idea of coming home early mm. fear is one fear of what? Oh, a great question. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear that they'll get home, heal, and they realize they made the wrong decision. I actually, mm. I would say that's the heart of it—the fear that they are making the wrong decision. Wow. Um, because you know, if you know you're making the right decision, well, you know, actually, even if you know you're making the right decision, sometimes it's still hard, and you still have that fear of rejection or judgment. Uh, but I would say, I'd venture to say, those who felt that it was right don't deal with the fear of failure as much. Interesting. Um, and so, I, I would imagine that any one of those emotions then kind of triggers another set mm-hmm. of feelings and emotions that you deal with, and. When you're when you're approaching that on an individual level, it's I would imagine it's very difficult to try and understand what we might on the outside of the experience call rational thought. Right. Right? Because everything to the outside person might look like, hey, you're crazy. You're not thinking right. You're you know what I mean? Like there was probably a set of people that will respond to what they see in that decision making process and go, You are not thinking straight. Yep. Um, there are people, especially if there's mental health issues involved, like people are suddenly very depressed or very anxious or get an eating disorder or become suicidal even, clearly they are not thinking right. But there's not as much compassion as there needs to be Sure. for that. Now, for those who are not dealing with mental health issues, um, they're, they're just having a hard time for whatever reason, physical or just, you know, kind of not sure if they want to be there anymore. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I've learned through this experience of talking to so many people, you can't judge. Everybody sees through different lenses. Everybody experiences things differently. Everybody's got different thresholds for what they can and cannot handle. Before I wrote the book and uh, did all the research, and I, I actually went through this process of, well, I came home for physical health reasons, so it's fine. You know, I'm still one of the good missionaries, if you will. <laughs> but those who come home for worthiness issues or who choose to come home early, you know, they should feel bad. And I had a lot of repenting to do for those thoughts. That was that oh, was inappropriate. Interesting. That was inappropriate of me. But because you were even ranking I was ranking versions of early return missionaries. I was ranking. And you know, early return missionaries do that. They will say things oh, like everybody does. Yeah. They're they're like, well at least I, Mental health people wish they came home for physical health reasons because then um, while sometimes they see their their issue as legitimate and, you know, I would I definitely encourage them to see their mental health issue as legitimate. um, They're like, well, I wish I came home for physical health reasons because, I mean, that's just obviously something wrong. People who come home for worthiness issues, they're like, well, you know, I can't speak for physical health issues. That's completely different or mental health. You know, what I did is something way over here and. There, there's definitely a ranking, and people are like, well, I'm just... I'm." They're always at the bottom, though. They always rank themselves <laughs> at the bottom. And uh, it's, it's everyone has their own experience. Uh, so go back to your original question about 
those who are on the outside looking in at this, I can see how it's very difficult to understand and why that's why it's so difficult to know what to say and why so many things are said that hurt. And there's so there's such variation on what is said, but I always encourage early return missionaries to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, they don't know what to say. Yes, this is different for them. No, they haven't had this experience yet. They haven't had the experiences in their life to teach them compassion to this. You don't need to let what they say to you affect you. You need to just stay close to the Lord, close to your Heavenly Father. I mean, that's what we do when we go through trials. That's how we get out of them. And uh, just let let it go. <laughs> does yeah. that help answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a number of ways that potential early return missionaries or early return missionaries look for answers. Mm-hmm. Some might say they're looking for excuses or whatever, that, you sure. know, things to blame um, for for the situation in which they find themselves. But we do that in a lot of different ways. I mean, there's a lot of situations that, that we try and find reasons and answers and blame or whatever for, for where we're at in life. But how does that impact the early return missionary mindset? How can we direct that thinking more effectively instead of finding blame and, and you're speaking for those on the outside looking in. No, for the for, individual for the, for themselves, the individual. yeah. I think you're absolutely right. We do tend to look for blame or something to blame or may, yeah, have it the reason why we came home early. And that isn't effective. That actually keeps you stuck. It doesn't matter the reason you came home. It keeps you stuck. I think a better way to look at it is what does the Lord want me to do now or how can I best serve him now no the situation is not ideal it's not something I would have chosen I didn't go on a mission just to come home early so this was unexpected but it does waste a lot of energy and a lot of effort looking for the reason why you came home or who's to blame whether it be a bad companion or a mission president or or um, why you're feeling so bad because somebody said something bad, mean to you at church. And focusing on the past doesn't really help either. It's much better to focus on the future and what does the Lord want me to do next, to do now, and kind of direct your thoughts that way. And you might not get an answer right away. You might have to kind of feel it out for a while, take some risks, take a step in the dark. But it's much better to spend your energy with that mindset, or, or how can I still serve? How can I best serve others now? Whether it be a service mission or just in the temple or serving your family or friends or in the ward, stay outward focused. Don't, don't become inward focused. That's, that's where the spiraling starts and the questioning and the doubting and the, yeah, the just the unhealthy thought patterns, really. Yeah. So let's talk now. Let's switch a little bit to maybe the parent side of this equation. Mm-hmm. Parents will come to this with a variety of their own expectations and emotions. And there is a set of behaviors and patterns that we can see that can take people down different paths. So what in this case has been your experience as both positive and negative as far as how a parent can react in these situations? The best way a parent can react is to react with love towards their missionary, no matter what. Um, at least, even if you're disappointed in them, let them first see that you love them. And, and love you. meaning what? Because love can mm-hmm. be issued in a number of different lenses as well. 
and and we all communicate love differently. Right. <laughs> so, you know, whatever I, I'm sure I hope there's been a relationship developed between you and your child. I guess what I'm really saying is don't treat them differently than you did before your mission. Okay. Continue to love them, continue to embrace them. If that means giving them a hug, if that means having regular chats with them, if that means throwing a, a little party for them, maybe ask them if they would want something like that. But continue to show love to them in the ways that you have shown love to them in the past. And they will respond to that. It might not be obvious at first. They might not feel like they deserve it. But they are watching you for your reaction. Kind of like how they always have, you know, little kids up to teenage years. They want to see how you're going to react. So those parents who show love and are also supportive, um, who advocate for their children or kind of stand up for them if somebody in the ward is being rude or even if a leader is being rude or uh, just saying things they shouldn't or just isn't understanding the situation quite appropriately, kind of letting people know, yes, my son or daughter's coming home early, kind of just preparing so that the missionary can just come home and not have to explain everything, not have to rehash everything. They can just have some space to process and not have to answer a bunch of questions. That's fair. So uh, that's what I've seen done really well. Also, a lot of parents will do a lot of research into this. There is more information available now thanks to... I mean, when I came home, there was hardly anything, but thanks to a lot of research that's been done by various people, I particularly have enjoyed working with Dr. Chris Doty-Yells. She did research at the Utah Valley University and published some papers in 2015 and 2017, but I know there's been more scholarly work done since then, as well as just many articles written in LDS Living, The Ensign, many, and there's been books written too now, So, <laughs> and a podcast, by the way. That's right. Anyway, so they, they do their research. Parents who struggle, they tend to perceive this as a failure of themselves, that they did not effectively prepare their son or daughter for missionary work, for mission life, Um, that somehow they failed their child, or that, you know, their child is a failure somehow. They they just kind of have that perceived notion, but more often it's more that the parent perceives themselves as a failure, and they are embarrassed. They are worried. And these, by the way, are normal emotions, but it's more the parents who let these emotions overrule their thinking and um, actions and judgment. Some people do have those embarrassed reactions, but then they just are able to put it aside and do what's best for their child. And I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people who kind of insist that their kids get back out on the mission, insist on a timeline for when their child will either go back out or just move on with their lives, kind of are pressuring. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just not helpful. <laughs> you know, it's and who don't take care of themselves. Yeah, I'll add that. They also don't take care of themselves and work through their own grief of their child coming home. But I'm noticing that nowadays there is a different component than was even maybe a year or two ago where parents are now much more involved on a week-to-week basis in communication with their children in the field. This has the potential to be a good thing, and it has the potential to be a very distracting and destructive thing. Mm -hmm. Because in the case of someone coming home, well, let me go on record as saying, I don't know a single missionary. There probably has been one, but I don't know a single missionary who hasn't hit a point in their mission at some point where they've wondered if they should be there, Mm. if they need to come home. Or what you know? What am I doing here? 
where they kind of are reflecting on their experience and their decision to come out. In some cases, it leans heavier towards a medical, mental, something that, that tips that scale at a certain time. But I still think everybody goes through that at some point. It's almost like the rite of passage to know that you are surrendering your will to Heavenly Father's. It's our version of the 40-day fast that Christ did, where we have to we, we show ourselves that we want to commit. Mm-hmm. That may be me overstating it, but it just seems like everybody that I reached out to or what everybody that I've served around had a moment like that. The reason I bring that up is depending on how a parent interacts with their child in those moments will have a drastic impact on whether someone stays. Whereas before, we talked to them on Mother's Day and Christmas and letters, which mm-hmm. don't carry the same weight as an actual voice conversation. So here you have a parent being able to talk to a child who maybe is at that moment in their mission. And if that parent is homesick for their kid or hasn't fully grieved, mm. their advice to that child carries with it a different weight. Yeah. So. My question is, and this might be really hard to answer, to what extent should parents be influencing their decision to stay or go? That is a great question. I would ask the parents to challenge, I suppose, their motives. If they want their child to come home, for for what end? Do you just miss your child and therefore want them home? Or do you truly feel that this is the best option for them, that they are not thriving in the field. Uh, either they're just too sick and need to come home. That's actually what happened to me. My mom encouraged me to come home. Well, I did make the decision, but we talked about it over email. But still, she helped me know it would be okay and that I did need to come home and receive first world <laughs> medical care. <laughs> yeah, because um, parents don't want to see their babies exactly. suffering, right? They, nope, they definitely don't. And and same with mental health. A lot of parents will, once they realize the extent of their child's mental health situation, encourage their child to come home and get some therapy and rest. And, and they're great advocates for their children, actually, generally speaking. Uh, worthiness issues, of course, they, they want them to come home and get that resolved. Um, but uh, the ones that I've kind of found, there might sometimes be some family troubles going on at home yeah. where there's either been a death in the family, uh, but perhaps it's not an immediate family member, and I, or there's just some family troubles going on just in other areas. And I, I want to be very careful here because each situation is very different. But those are the ones that I've seen more where the parents can kind of tell their kids a little too much and it can send their kids into a bit of a tailspin because it's hard to cope when you're on a mission, especially if your family's going through stuff. Well, like you, you, some missionaries like to fix the problem. And they like to fix the problem. <laughs> and it can be really difficult. And it can even send them into depression or anxiety, you know? So that's that's just kind of where you do need to be careful. I mean, I guess you don't want to... I mean, if there's a divorce or something that happens, you do want to let them know that. But be very prayerful about how you approach sensitive family issues or telling them that you miss them. I think it's appropriate to say, you know, I miss you, but I'll see you when you, you know, get home, keep going. Um, I think it's okay to say I love you or I miss you, but I, I do see your point that it, it, it's tricky. It's Parents tricky. play a very they unique do. role. They play a very unique role in this situation, and it's hard for them 
because they don't want to give advice that also ends up at the wrong decision, in air quotes, sure. type situation, um, whichever way that is, right? It could go, the wrong decision, in air quotes, can go either way. It can be the wrong decision to stay. It can be the wrong decision to go. It, yep. It, it's, it's a really difficult situation to navigate. And because of that, I think that scariness, that fear is, is very heavy. Part of that, however, is the cultural nature of the calling of a full-time missionary, particularly a full-time proselyting missionary, at least historically. We have farewells. We're not supposed to, but we have them. Yes. <laughs> we have homecomings. We're not supposed to have those either. Um, there's this long-established cultural history where we talk about missionaries returning with honor and being the army of Helaman. There's, there's a very elevated way that we look at these people that go out and are warriors conquering the evil of the world. And as a result, we kind of see this this cultural thing that has continued for years. You know, missionary calls are being opened on social media. And, and is, these are big events that take place. And we place a very high premium on the mission experience as part of some rite of passage as as part of our membership. It kind of puts us into a category of membership, although unofficial. And the question could be asked, is this appropriate? Ooh, well, my opinion, <laughs> my opinion is that I do think missions are something to be celebrated. And I think that's kind of where this, all this cultural stuff started. We see missions as a very good thing in our culture. I mean, we're bringing people the gospel. We're, we're sacrificing, uh, which, which is very hard to do, especially at 18, 19, 20. That's a hard age to be self-sacrificing. And the parents are also self-sacrificing. I mean, there's a lot of money going into this. Um, a lot of time, clearly. So I think people want to celebrate. But yeah, has it gotten out of hand? I would say yes. I would say yes, because a lot of the reason why missionaries struggle so much today, even if they don't come home early, but just struggle on their missions, is because their expectation is not the reality of a mission. For me, I was shocked when I got there, how often I really wasn't smiling, I guess. I mean, I wanted to smile, but, you know, you see pictures of smiling missionaries all the time in church, in church materials. But the reality is most days are really hard and you're trying to work with people who really don't want to talk to you. You're trying to learn a new language if you're in a, in a mission that requires you to learn a new language. You're having to get along with somebody, your companion, 24-7. You don't always like them. And you're trying to learn the gospel. You're trying to answer hard questions. And you, there's just so much. There are those smiling moments. There absolutely are. There are those good moments where it clicks for people. It clicks for you. But it's hard. And I think when people see that their expectations and their realities are not matching, they think something's wrong with them. Because what's been shown them is all this cultural stuff, this huge celebration, kind of this party that missionary work is supposed to be. And it's not that. And all these miracles that occur for some missionaries, you know, but not for them. So what are they doing wrong? They're the missing link, right? They, they're, they're the reason it's not happening. They are the reason it's not happening. And so they start to doubt themselves. They start to get anxiety. They start to get depression. Uh, there's just this big gap and they can't fill it. And they don't want to be the problem missionary 
so they don't voice any of this. They just try to keep plugging along, and sometimes they are able to plug along and finish their missions or even kind of get to a better place and an understanding of what missionary work is. But most of the time, the ones I talk to at any rate, they come home. They just can't take it anymore. They try, they try to stay. They eventually, eventually talk to their mission president. They eventually start seeing a therapist, but sometimes the therapists aren't that great and will just put them on medication that they actually don't really need to go on or don't put them on medication that perhaps they should be on. And, and missions aren't really a great place to, I mean, therapy is great, but you need to then kind of go home and do the work. But that's not why you're on a mission. You're not there to work on yourself, or so you're told. You're there to help other people. And so you start feeling selfish for working on yourself. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And so, yeah, um, is it appropriate? Are we doing too much? I think we do need to cut back, especially if the church leaders have counseled us to stop doing farewells, stop doing homecomings. I think that's the only stuff the church leaders have counseled us to stop doing. I've got one more, but keep going. Okay, okay. I can't remember anything else, but yeah, I think we should stop. I get the tradition. I, I get why. I mean, that was so important to me. I wanted to do a farewell. I wanted well, to do Well, we all want to wear talk. the cape. We all want to wear the cape. That's a great way of putting it. But is it a cape? I mean, if you it look- It can be. It, I mean, we- But it's become that. In, in church history, it was a mission, you know, and then you came home and you carried on with life. There was no big- celebration there was no homecoming talk. And it, it's interesting you bring up the history of it because we I think that there's a sense that with modern medicine mm. with video chatting with jackets with a system a worldwide church and a system that is designed and built with insurance and comforts for missionaries that were never around when they went out without purse or script. Mm. Those guys back then sacrificed a ton. A ton. There, there are stories that are now being told of the wives who stayed home with the kids while their husbands went out on missions. Those are some intense sacrifices. Oh, yes. They didn't come home early. Not that we know of. We didn't hear those stories. So I think that there is an expectation of the image of what a Latter-day Saint missionary does is they sacrifice. They suffer. To a certain extent, that's true. I think no matter where you go on your mission, even people that go to Hawaii, mm. there is still a, a degree of suffering that people go through on their mission. And I think part of the refiner's fire of mortality is to suffer to a certain extent, is to sacrifice for the cause of good. The question then becomes, at what point is the sacrifice a negative return? Right. And... To, to give the one other thing where overemphasis on mission is happening is when missionaries who prepare to leave for their missions get their endowment. Mm -hmm. Temple presidents have been encouraged by the brethren to not go up to these prospective missionaries and say, hey, are you going on your mission? Is that why you're getting your endowments? Oh, I see. It is, thank you for getting your endowments. These commitments and these covenants will last your whole life and into the eternities. And to keep it on the plan of salvation. Because those covenants are everything. Their mission is a very slim portion of their mortal experience. And so the, there is one admonition area to add to that where the brethren have said, let's, let's make sure that when they go to the temple, it's for the temple. Not just for the mission. It's part of it. Mm -hmm. But they're going to the temple to make covenants. 
whether they go on a mission or, or, or not. So anyway, I bring that up. That is great. One last thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is probably the toughest subject of them all with this, but how does being an early return missionary impact your relationship with God? Mm. What are the wrestles that you have with that relationship? Well, I'll qualify this by saying it's different for everyone. But in general, and for me, there's kind of a pleading, a begging, help me stay, help me not have to go home, help me not have to face this failure. Then you do go home and there's, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I messed up. So you kind of try to do this repentance thing. And then you realize I didn't really do anything wrong or it depends, of course. But for me, it was came home for physical health reasons. Like, but maybe I did do something wrong. Maybe there was a prompting I didn't follow. For me, it was, I think I drank bad water. So maybe he prompted me not to drink the bad water <laughs> and I didn't listen. So I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I totally failed you. I'm paying for it. And um, I'm unworthy because he didn't heal me in the field and I was just a bad missionary. So he had to just get rid of me and send me home. And then it kind of, you know, you kind of go, like I say, going through the stages of grief, then you get angry and you're like, why, why didn't you heal me? You know, wait a minute. You kind of get to the point where you're like, no, I was worthy. You know, not, maybe I did make a mistake of drinking bad water. Who's, who, who's to say? Or, you know, so you get angry at the Lord and then you kind of got to repent for that later on. But he's, you know, <laughs> he's a parent. He gets it. He, he's so understanding and kind and loving. And then you kind of get to that point that he's a kind, loving, understanding parent and he gets it. He really does. He gets exactly what you're going through. You know, the Savior atoned for this. He felt everything you're feeling, and he's your advocate. He's your friend. He loves you. And you really can, if you so choose, form this wonderful, tight relationship with him. And he carries you through it. He carries you through the rest of the way to where you really understand what happened for you. And you don't hurt anymore. And you really are then able to go help others. You're able to talk about it. You don't desire to forget this whole experience anymore. In fact, you're grateful for it, which I know sounds absurd to probably anybody listening who just came home early, but you end up being grateful for it. It's incredible. You really form a true relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. That's incredible. And it's funny, the thought popped into my head as you're talking. I, I wonder if there's ever been a time where people thought that, oh, well, Christ died too early. He, he, his mission was too early. He came home early because uh, he was so young. There was so much more time left. You know, he died so much younger than everybody else. That was never a failure to the people who knew his mission. No. And, and in fact, Elder Holland in his address to early return missionaries touches on that very thing. He says that this two-year, 18-month mission thing we've got going on is actually a modern invention. And you were talking about the history of the church earlier. Those missions last anywhere from six months years. to three years. Yeah. And it's anticipated that you'll serve 18 months to two years, but not required. And only the Lord knows how long you are supposed to serve, how long he wants you out there. Right. And so, yeah, same with our life missions. You know, there's no set time like everybody's supposed to live until they're 80. You know, it's, we all have different missions to fulfill. And I think our yeah. Latter-day Saint missions are the same. Yeah. So let's get to talking about your podcast and your book. Mm -hmm. First about the podcast. It's, it's where other people can come and tell their stories. Um, but what, what other things can people expect to hear on the Early Homecoming podcast? 
Yes, they can absolutely expect to hear other people's stories and experiences and insights. Um, in fact, the subtitle of the podcast is Insights from Early Returned Missionaries. But I also invite church leaders, bishops, um, are, are mainly who I've had on, as well as therapists, particular therapists who have researched or uh, given therapy extensively to early returned missionaries. I also have parents come on and share their stories and their experiences and their insights. Um, and I have all different reasons that come on. In fact, it's very important to me that it be a variety on my podcast because there is no one size fits all with this experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of creates a space where individuals can explore these ideas through the experiences of others. Exactly. And, and I think that can be very helpful because part of what individuals are trying to walk through they're fast forwarding to the end of their own movie, mm -hmm. right? They want to see how their movie's going to go. Yep. And so if they can see other experiences, that might help inform theirs and that may end up being something very positive for them. We, that's the goal is that it'll be very positive for them. And so how does the podcast differ from your book? The the book is more in depth as far as statements from general authorities on early return missionaries or just missions in general. It's also a bit more scholarly. Uh, I definitely have a lot more scholarly research in the book. However, the, the book is still approachable. I wrote it for the layman, but there is a lot more substance to the book. Um, it gets a little bit more into the why. You know, why do I feel this way? Um, why is this a thing in our culture? As I like to keep my podcast episodes to 45 minutes each, and it's really just to help kind of help it's really just to help people feel that they still belong that it's okay and it's kind of the surface level admittedly sometimes we do get deep in the podcast but its purpose is to be kind of surface level and here's a community you're the okay. lived experience it's a lived experience whereas the book goes deeper that's the best way i can differentiate them. okay that's good where can people go to find both the book and the podcast. The podcast is available anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, it's on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google. You can, if you have Alexa at home, you can listen to it on Alexa. Um, the book is available pretty much anywhere you like to buy books, at least <laughs> online. I mean, it, Target says they carry it, but I think they only carry it in online. Um, but BYU Bookstore, Deseret Book, uh, Siegel Book. It's I think Barnes and Noble carries it in store as well, uh, so it really all the Latter Day Saint booksellers will have Early Homecoming. Okay, so look for Early Homecoming by Kristen Reber, and you can go to your website, yes. KristenReber dot com. Yep, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Um, and I guess the last thing that I kind of want to use as an umbrella to this is you certainly shared your experiences and. You've had this podcast and these books, and you're having people kind of come to you now as some sort of expert on this, which your eyes just got really big, like you're scared of that. <laughs> well. This is nothing that you've, you need to take ownership of, of course, but how do you respond when people reach out to you in these situations looking for advice? I'm actually really grateful that they would trust me with their story, that, that somehow they were led to me. Um, sometimes they just say, I felt like I needed to reach out to you. And yeah, I mean, my eyes got wide because it's a huge responsibility. I mean, the, these 
this is a big decision in our culture. I have people reach out to me while they're still on their missions, trying to make the decision of whether or not to come home early. And I do always kind of try to direct them back to their mission president. But um, at the same time, I'm happy to help them work through their thoughts. Anyways, I'm grateful. That's really the, I know it sounds odd, but that is the feeling I have when people come to me. Grateful they would trust me and grateful that I can help. That you created that safe space for them. Yeah. To explore that is, is as you said, a very important decision. One that whether we are the ones making that decision to come home early or if we are around others who are making that decision, it helps us to have a better understanding of what they're going through Mm -hmm. and gives us a greater capacity to love and appreciate the challenge that they're having. So. Thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Everyone, again, look to the show notes for a link to check out the podcast and the book from Kristen Reaver. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I hope it was valuable for you and that there was some good information. Please stay tuned to our next episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast, where we hope to have more information to uplift and inspire you in the great cause of missionary work.